0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome to Mining Stock Education. On today's episode, you'll be hearing from me, Brian Lenny, a resource sector investor and editor of Junior Stock Premium. I'll be giving you an introspective look at what went right and what went wrong in 2023 for me. I think it's a great opportunity for you to learn from my mistakes and hopefully avoid them. Plus, I'll be giving you five things I think you can do in 2024 to be a more successful and consistent investor. So let's start off with the negative. Where did I go wrong in 2023? Um, I definitely made a few mistakes, and I think it's best encapsulated in terms of the timing of my investments. You know, None of these points I'm going to cover are necessarily new to me, uh, but the mistakes I you know, definitely overemphasized that I need to be better in them. And uh, I think it starts with is selling more in those five momentum and frenzy type settings and you know these are these bull market type settings um, I need to be better at, at selling you know over the course of my investing career which is you know been over 10 years I've had two years in particular that I've done very well in. there's two bull market years which is 2016 and 2020 and looking back especially to 2020 I think I give myself a, a medium grade in terms of what I sold uh, but I definitely didn't sell enough. And that is a problem now looking back over the last two years, but in 2023 and how that has kind of carried over. Um, in 2020, like I did take profits and I moved some of them into new opportunities uh, and I took a portion of it and put it into real things. I think that's actually even a side point that I could even go with the the things that you should do better in 2024 is when you have profits, I think in the junior resource sector, uh, obviously you take them and you move them into new cheaper opportunities, um, but you have to be putting that money into real things. Junior companies are floating abstractions. You know, none of these, In some cases, these companies have nothing but a hope and a dream. And it's that company's ability to sell that dream to the market. And if they're recognized, that's kind of where their value comes from. And you need to take hold of that idea and make sure, you know, you're putting money onto your mortgage on house improvements. Maybe you need a new vehicle, maybe you, need, you can invest in a real business that's cash flowing, or maybe even further education for yourself. All of these are real things that I think you need to have at least a portion of your profits going into at all times. And especially in those years, those bull market years, you need to I take it full advantage of them and, and execute in that way. So I give myself a medium grade. And really what I say that is because uh, looking back on the performance over the, this last year and how it's tied to 2020 and how I redeployed that money, uh, I could be better with my, my timing. One of the points that I'll also kind of go over is, you know, I, I think I'm a fairly self-aware person and I make it a, a priority to be, to be one. Uh, My competency level puts me into a lot of investment in developers and I'll define developers as companies that are sort of pre-resourced. You know, they've already made their discovery. They have a resource or maybe an economic study. And these companies are highly susceptible to the Lesson curve. And you, more and more I invest in this sector, the more I'm reminded that I need to better align the market cycle with the company cycle. If these are aligned, and you, you have full recognition of, of where that company actually is and where the market is, I think you can make the, the timing aspect work out much better for you. And, you know, some cases you're probably better to have your money in cash or some other part of the market, maybe a producer that's got cash flow, sort of regardless of where that metal price is, uh, to keep your money in that hold period until the timing is right. Now, I, I, nobody has a crystal ball and can tell where markets are headed. Uh, but i think there is that sort of sweet spot where you can get better with your timing and that's that's what i'm trying to talk about um and again next to my competencies the other thing i like about buying the developers is that they have intrinsic value in themselves Uh, having a resource means there's actually something in the ground and you know that you can assign a value to and you can compare it to how the market's valuing it and this is really how you're going to make money is by buying those companies with intrinsic value that are selling for less than they're worth. And then hopefully they have a good plan on how to get market recognition moving forward. And can, and of course, you're going to make mistakes across this. It's just getting better at it. And that's that's where I know I can be better moving forward, 2024 and beyond. The last point I'll leave you with, and it definitely is something that I had to remember or catch myself um, not confusing, is the difference between inevitable and imminent. Uh, you can come with a logical sort of order of things and you can say, wow, you know, if this and this happens, then absolutely this has to happen. Yes, that's probably true, but it doesn't say when. And <laughs> This is the big difference between inevitable and imminent is timing. I'll use a perfect example and it's one that I thought a lot about is the 2008 crash. 2008 happens, it's a worldwide catastrophe financially. Uh, leading it to the states, but many other Western nations especially had to do the same thing. They flooded the market with liquidity, meaning, you know, quantitative easing, and they lowered interest rates to ultra low low levels, you know, housing markets go crazy, this and that go crazy. And really I thought to myself, wow, you know, we have to be on that precipice of this thing falling apart and, you know, finally getting everything back. Everything's going to have to go back to more sound money principles and such. The fact is it's just not that way <laughs> or it's not that way in the you know imminent um as i thought it was you know really you look at the last since 2008 the last whatever is like almost 15 years you know things have moved moved along at a snail's pace and besides COVID happening in 2020 really in the gold market we could have been sitting in the same position you know, as we were in 2013, 2014, 2015, I'm not sure that necessarily anything else would sort have of happened, just kind of floating away sideways. And so it does show you that, you know, the, you can form a logical argument for something, but it doesn't mean it has to happen tomorrow. And whether that's with this green revolution or the gold market and the amount of debt in the system or whatever you want to look at, oil market, uranium, um, you know, everything can logically line up, but it doesn't mean it has to happen tomorrow. And thus, you have to make sure that you're not totally reliant on that timeline as the leading principle of why you're investing and hence why you can't use commodity pricing as the reason to invest because getting that, that right is super hard. And uh, it's a lesson that I think, unfortunately, everybody typically has to learn by, by losing money. So that's the negative side or where I went wrong. So let's talk about the the positive side. Where did I go right? Uh, twenty twenty three has been a positive year from a portfolio standpoint, especially if you compare it to twenty twenty two, which is pretty brutal. I I made a couple of picks at the end of twenty twenty two and then the beginning of this year or new investments, and out of those four or five picks, you know the top two are really good. Sold one for a good profit. The other one we took some profits on. The middle one or two did. F- kind of nothing. And then the last point was definitely a mistake. And it was, it was a mistake of over-optimism, I suppose. Um, but again, a good learning experiment, experience. But it sort of leads into this other point um, that I had that I think I did well, is selling positions early in the year and sort of early in the investment uh, to ensure that it didn't get worse and that I avoided sitting in Q4 this year, um, which ended up being terrible. Now, it's popped up the last two weeks of november and into december um, but you just never know when that's going to happen but you know for those that waited f- for q4 to sell you sold at a drastic uh price reduction compared to the beginning of the year because i don't know if you recall but you know especially in the precious metals market there was some optimism heading into q1 of 2023 and you know that's when i took advantage of cutting some positions taking some profits and as soon as the markets sort of rolled over, I was very happy that I did. And it just shows moving forward, you know, I need to cut things that are not working as soon as possible and not wait to the end of the year um, to sort of get rid of things. It, this flows into another point. I, I think patience has definitely been a, a, a big point. Um, besides those four or five picks that were amongst probably a two or three months time span, I really sat on my hands. And for a lot of people, especially as a newsletter writer, that's not the the uh, reader's <laughs> most favorite thing. Everybody loves the picks, but I think sometimes it's wise to do so. And to me, it was wise to do so. Basically, the last year and a half, unless you know you pick that right market. Um, I missed the uranium uh, run up, and uh, I think you know obviously if you hit that, then then that's great. Uh, but unless you're doing that, sometimes it's it's wise to sit on your hands. And in 22 and 2023, um, we had companies that were, you know, putting out good news flow and their share prices were selling off. They were being used as liquidity events. And when you see that sort of price action happen, I think that's a great time to, to slow down with the market and sort of take every moment as you go. And if you have that certain buy target that's cheap enough for you, then by all means you start buying and you buy in tranches over a certain period of time. Um, but slowing down and being patient is probably uh, a good, good way to be, almost regardless of what market you're in. And as I said before, you know, out of the plus 10 years that have been in um, a resource sector investor, really, there's only been two years that where you really wanted to push the momentum. And that um, I think it just shows you that being patient is a, is a bigger part of it than um, being impatient. So now we'll move on to five things I think you can do to be a more successful investor in 2024. Uh, The first one, use level two market data. And for the the newbies, and I'll be quite honest, I didn't really know what level two market data was all about until I started trying to use it. And so really I'll start from the the level one perspective. When you go into your brokerage account and you want to get a quote on a company and you want to see what the bid and the ask is, that's your level one. It basically tells you where the bid is, where the ask is, and sort of the size you don't see anything else you know if there's more a lot more selling above that that minimum ask price or if there's a lot more buying potential below that that buy price you have no idea you're blind to it and until you get that level of market data where you can see that you have no idea and i tell you after using this, that for the last 4 or 5 years i think 100% um, it pays for itself. You know, this level two market data it usually has a cost, but I think it's it's included in, in basically every brokerage firm out there, 30, 40, 50 bucks per month. Uh, there's also a couple other websites. Uh, CEO.ca is, is one that has a nice visual format. It's a little costlier, Uh, but then again there's some other advantages to how their their system is set up but it all depends on you and especially if you've never used it before then i would suggest that cheaper version get used to it and then you can expand on how much information you want to digest and how you want to digest it Uh, but i tell you after using that for again the last four or five years there's no way i would move ahead without it and to me it's invaluable and more than pays for itself um, especially in these hard markets point number two open an interactive broker's account. Now, I'm not, I am not have no affiliation with interactive brokers, no sponsorship, no nothing. Um, I've just used IB for a while now. And especially being a newsletter writer that has a lot of international subscribers, probably the number one question I get outside of, it, if I like this company or that company, is what brokerage should I use, especially considering I'm not Canadian or live in Canada and have a Canadian account. And I always tell them interactive brokers you know, you get an IB account, you can basically trade on almost any exchange. You can buy these Canadian-based companies on their home exchanges, not the sort of not derivatives, but the OTC or whatever. You're going to get the maximum liquidity, the best price action is going to come on those home exchanges, the TSX and the TSXV. Uh, it's got great exchange rates. Sometimes you're going to have arbitrages between the different exchanges because you have access of the access of them in one account again you can play those arbitrages if if need be or if that's something you want to do so again i think there's a lot of value especially for international um investors to have an interactive broker's account and i think again it's a it's a huge advantage over let's say an american who has just your your regular american bank account or brokerage account that only trades otc uh, i think there'd be a major plus and what if there is a cost i don't think there is Um, But not having it, you know, the interactive broker's account is going to be a big advantage for you. Point three, type or handwrite a one page summary outlining exactly why you're investing in a company. You're going to want to write how much you think it's worth, what catalysts are going to propel it higher in valuation, and of course, what price you're going to sell it at. You know, for me as a newsletter writer, I continually write all my thoughts down, you know, including the recommendation articles on our new pick. And I'll tell you, it's 100% a major factor in why I've been successful more consistently um over the last, you know, seven years since I've been doing this full time. It makes you crystallize the investment thesis. You know, you go through it in a logical manner, you go through that base value calculation. It's quantitative. There is definitely some qualitative, especially if you're in the exploration companies to try to sort that out how you're going to place value on a company that essentially has nothing. Um, but it forces you to do it. And then once you have that baseline value established, you need to sit there and think, okay, well, why is the share price going to go up? Why is the market subtly going to take recognition? Besides the middle price going up, which is definitely one of the factors. But remember, there's a plethora of other things that can happen to make a share price go up. So you need to sort that out and you need to sort it out over a certain timeline. So you write all this out and in a very concise and compact format. And then finally and arguably the most important point that it gets most overlooked is what price you're going to sell at price targeting is something that you're not just going to pull out of your head you have to say okay this is the base value this is what the company is going to do uh in the next year and this is what the share price should be after they've added all that value once they've done all that right for most people that's going to be the time to sell and of course it's market dependent. Da, 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 but this is these are the steps I think that most investors are going to have to take um, and it'll solidify not only why you're investing in the company, but it'll also catch you if you've got too much emotion in the decision you're trying to make um, or you're getting out of your competency level. Point number four. Uh, read Managing Oneself by Peter Drucker and Seeking Wisdom by Peter Bevelin. I'm a big... Uh, promoter of self-awareness. I think everybody needs to be self-aware, but especially as an investor. I think it plays so much into our success because almost like with point number three, people have a tendency to get up in the clouds. Um, They let a sales pitch, you know, kind of direct them into something that they're really not, or really shouldn't be in, such as exploration that requires a lot of geological knowledge, uh, requires a lot of time to go through news releases. and you know you can get lost in it though because it's so sexy and so i think you definitely need to first you take heed of of what you know and what you don't know what your risk level is you read peter's book because he's going to tell you all about human bias and this is something no matter how well you know yourself just being a human in general you're going to be susceptible to the bias i'm of those what 25 biases or 26 biases and peter's going to take you through exactly what they are and then once you have an idea of human behavior and who you are, I think you need to have a format for managing yourself. And Peter Drucker's book is, you know, you know, widely held as one of the best out there. And so I think these are two great books to start with. And this is a great lead in to point number five, create a list of 10 rules, which you will stick to in 2024. And what you're trying to do here is you're trying to create a framework for decision-making. No matter the market bearable, emotion can creep in, and you can get off um, of where you want to be headed. And it can take you out of your comfort level or your competency, and you wanna avoid that at all cost. And so I'll suggest a couple of rules that you might start with. So rule number one, you're gonna execute on point number three I brought up. You're gonna write a one page summary for each of your investments. And you're gonna do it for all the investments in your portfolio right now, and every new one that you have. Rule number two, don't chase the share price you go back to rule number one you're going to write that summary part of that summary is going to have a baseline value you want to buy something that's selling for cheaper than it is and once you kind of sort of set that price whether it's you know the thing is worth 50 cents i want to buy it for 15 cents especially in these bad markets you're not going to chase it if it spikes up over 20 um you're going to let it come back to you at 15 cents and that's where you're going to buy it volatility is your make it your friend not uh, not the point that destroys you and so you're going to wait you're going to put your order in and you're going to be you're going to wait for it to come back at 15 cents and you're probably going to add in i'm going to buy in three or four tranches to make sure that that share price goes down further i'm going to dollar cost average it point number three or rule number three sell the company once it hits the price target you know as i said you know so many people get focused on the buy side and that's great But what they forget to do or what they get susceptible is to being way too greedy when it comes to the sell side. And this is a huge mistake because when profits are there, profits can be fleeting in this sector. You need to take them. And like I said, you need to take them, redeploy into new cheaper opportunities or put it into real things. And so selling is such a big part about being an investor in this sector and you got to get a hold of it. And for me, that's that one last point that I had that it took a mentor really to hammer into me. And then again, I still made the mistakes looking back to 2020 and then, and then in, I could be better even in 2023, uh, but, but selling is a huge part of it. And you can't be greedy. You have to understand what market you're in, take those profits. Um, these are simplistic examples. Obviously, you have to come up with your own, but this is gonna be a part of your self-awareness thing in which you you read from part four in those two books and how you're gonna create a framework for yourself and keep you in your in your zone of of competency and comfort. And if you do that, I guarantee you're gonna make better investment choices. That's it for me, guys. Thank you for listening. See you in 2024. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility—certainly not the certainty—but the possibility of ten for one returns, as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do